Today we continue our series on the Ten Commandments, and we are going to look at the First Commandment. I want to begin by reading Exodus chapter 20, and I'm only going to read the first three verses. Please hear God's Word. Exodus chapter 20, beginning at verse 1. And God spoke all these words, saying, I am the Lord your God, who brought you out of the land of Egypt, out of the house of slavery. You shall have no other gods before me. This morning I want to speak with you from the subject, No Gods But One, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. No Gods But One. Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. The Bible begins with God, His glory, His greatness, His goodness, His government, and His grace. And you see these things most clearly in Jesus Christ, His beloved and well-pleasing Son. All that you think, say, and do or refuse to think, say, and do, should be determined and driven by God, His glory, His greatness, His goodness, His grace, and His government in Jesus Christ. God, as He is revealed in Jesus Christ, must be the foundation, backdrop, and motivation for your entire life. Paul said, So whether you eat or drink, or whatever you do, do all to the glory of God. God always frames every one of his commands and laws with who he is and what he has done on your behalf in Jesus Christ for his glory. Therefore, you should never think speak or do righteousness or turn from evil solely because it happens to be better or more noble or for a good feeling or for a good reputation or to prevent a guilty conscience or for popularity and human praise. Every fiber of your being is to be directed and driven by who the triune God is and what he has achieved in Christ Jesus for his glory, for his fame, and for your good. John said, we love because he first loved us. God's love in Christ is to constrain every fiber of our being to function under God's gracious rule. The Ten Commandments are a calling to love, to love the one who has loved you first, and to love others because you are beloved by God in Jesus Christ. Today we look at the first commandment God gave Israel and also to each of us. 
it is most worthy and appropriate of a response that you and I should be compelled by his love to joyfully obey out of awe and gratitude for who God is and how in Jesus Christ he has rescued you and restored you under his rightful rule, his rightful reign. I am the Lord thy God, who brought you out of the land of Egypt, out of the house of slavery. You shall have no other gods before me. I am the Lord thy God, demonstrates that God is both reverent and relational. Theologians would say he is both transcendent and eminent, far above everyone and everything, totally other than all else that is, and yet near, personal, intimately connected to every aspect of his creation, and especially to you, his image-bearing creatures. Last week it was highlighted that the word you, as it appears in the Ten Commandments, is singular, which emphasizes the need for a community of faith in order to carry out these commands as one man with one mind. You cannot love God aright if you are not supported by the body of which you are a part. At the same time, theologians highlight the singular form of you also teaches you that you have a personal responsibility to follow the laws the Lord gives. You are personally accountable to obey, to love God. This phrase also teaches us that we are God's portion and inheritance, and He is our portion and our inheritance. We belong to each other. You belong to God, and God belongs to you. These are profound thoughts. In Christ Jesus, God has united himself to you and you to him. We are in Christ, his body, his bride, his son, his members, his servant, and so much more. We have been bought and brought out of darkness and brought into his marvelous light. Listen to what the Apostle Paul said. For we ourselves were foolish, disobedient, led astray, slaves to various passions and pleasures, passing our days in malice and envy, hated by others and hating one another. We were bought and brought out of darkness. But when the goodness and loving kindness of God our Savior appeared, he saved us not because of works done by us in righteousness, but according to his own mercy, by the washing and regeneration and renewal of the Holy Spirit, whom he poured out on us richly through Jesus Christ, our Savior, so that being justified by his grace, we might become heirs according to the hope of eternal life. We were brought into his marvelous light. When the Lord delivered Israel out of Egypt, he made a sweeping revelation and proclamation to Egypt, to Israel, and to the entire universe. When the Lord delivered you, 
or delivers anyone, he is making the same sweeping revelation and proclamation. Namely, he alone is God. There is no other God but him. He alone has the power to save. There is no other Savior save him. He alone is worthy to be proclaimed. There is no other message save the triune God, his glory, his greatness, his goodness, his grace, his government. All other excellencies revealed in Jesus Christ alone. God the Lord told Pharaoh, For this time I will send all my plagues on your heart and on your servants and your people, so that you may know that there is none like me in all the earth. For by now I could have put out my hand and struck you and your people with pestilence, and you would have been cut off from the earth. But for this purpose I have raised you up, to show you my power, so that my name may be proclaimed in all the earth. How ironic it is that to this very day, no one is really sure of the name of the Pharaoh to whom the Lord made himself known. Egypt's king was compelled to acknowledge the Lord, the same Lord he refused to acknowledge when Moses first confronted him. He was made to bow down. Egypt had all kinds of false gods, non-existent things, as some translations have said. For there is no God but one. Paul says, when pagans make sacrifices to their gods, they offer to demons and not to God. Egypt had ten main gods, among many others, ten demons that they were subject to that God confronted when he sent Moses to announce to Pharaoh, Thus says the Lord, Israel is my firstborn son, and I say to you, Let my son go, that he may serve me. God claimed a people as his own, his son, and he also claimed not only ownership, but also their service, their worship, their obedience. The same is true of you. The earth is the Lord, is the Lord's and the fullness thereof, the world and those who dwell therein. This is true especially of you, his blood-bought people. And he claims ownership over you, your service and obedience and worship of him. When Israel was delivered from Egypt, the Lord said, I will pass through the land of Egypt, and I will strike all the firstborn in the land of Egypt, both man and beast, and on all the gods of Egypt I will execute judgments. I am the Lord. The Lord was judging demons when he delivered his people. He was revealing and proclaiming there is no God but him, no Savior but him, no message but him, no one worthy of absolute service, worship, 
and obedience but him. Do you think of God that way? Does your way of life say amen to that revelation and proclamation of him? When Jesus contemplated the cross and his sacrificial death, his exodus in Jerusalem, he said in John chapter 12, Now is the judgment of this world. Now will the ruler of this world be cast out. And I, when I am lifted up from the earth, will draw all people to myself. When the true Passover lamb, Jesus Christ, was sacrificed, just like in the Old Covenant, Jesus' death was a judgment on all the false gods, the demons of this world, the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, the pride of life, the pride of possessions, the pride in position, the pride in performance, Jesus' death was a judgment on Satan himself. Jesus is Almighty God in the flesh. When he gave his life, he condemned every demon, every devil that exists, every stronghold, every argument, every lofty opinion raised against the knowledge of God. He condemned all of it. Because his lifting up on the cross had a goal, an aim, an objective. It said something, and his aim was to draw all people to himself, to take every thought captive to obey his will, to love him who first loved you. And he did this so that you might behold his glory believe in his loving story, bow to him for his Father's glory, and serve him exclusively with all that you are and have as Lord of Lords and King of Kings. Do you love him? Do you love to love Jesus? Jesus said, if you love me, you will keep my commandments. Here's the thing. Jesus does not leave you alone in this call to love him. He says immediately after, if you love me, you will keep my commandments, and I will ask the Father and he will give you another helper to be with you forever, even the Spirit of truth. Jesus says of him, of that spirit of truth, he will guide you into all truth. In principle, that truth is for us as well. It was said directly to the apostles, and it has a specific context for them, but the principle is also for you as well. He says that this spirit, he will bear witness about me, Jesus says. He will glorify me. For he will take what is mine and declare it to you. The Spirit helps you by bearing witness to Jesus and his love and his lordship. The Spirit enables you by creating in you both the desire and power to love, to worship, to obey God exclusively. 
We need the Holy Spirit to do that. Jesus promises that he would dwell inside of us, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. The Word of God promises that in the New Covenant, God would write his law on our hearts. He would put his Spirit in us. He would take out a heart of stone and put in a heart of flesh. And by his Spirit, he would cause us to obey his rules, his statutes, his laws. It needs to be said, you cannot begin to obey this first commandment unless you are convinced that there is no other true God but the Lord, the triune God. Satan is the God of this world in the sense that he and his blinding lies are believed and followed by those who cannot see the light of the glory of Christ, who is the image of God, the true God. But Satan has been judged. Satan has been cast out. Satan has been overcome. Satan has been bound. And this fact brings us to the reason for the first uh, command, one of the reasons for the first command. It is absolutely true that there is only one God, the Lord, the triune God, and there are no others. God said through Isaiah, I am the Lord, and there is no other besides me. There is no God. Surely God is in you, and there is no other, no God besides him. I am the Lord, and there is no other. Turn to me and be saved, all the ends of the earth, for I am God, and there is no other. But we have a problem. You and I, and everyone else, we have the ability to love and relate to anything and anyone person, place, thing, idea, action, you name it, the way we are to love and relate to God exclusively. We can love money, pleasure, food, comfort, possessions, our spouse, our children, our job, our house, our car, our money, our skill. I know I said money twice. Because Jesus made a big point about it, didn't he? You can love your education, your reputation, your power, your position, your health, your wealth, your worldview, your political party, your ideologies. You and I and everyone else have the ability to idolize whatever exists besides God as if it was God. Of course, it has been pointed out by so many, the biggest false god that you will have to deal with and are dealing with, the biggest idol, is you. It's the person you see when you look in the mirror. You are your biggest problem. You are your biggest idol. You can serve all these things and people and yourself and worship and obey and revere all these 
in a way that God alone deserves exclusively. Here is an easy yet perhaps uncomfortable way of identifying your own idols. Think about what God has commanded you and what God has created you to be. God has created you to love Him with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind, and with all your might. He has also commanded you to love your neighbor as yourself. Furthermore, He has called you to be like Jesus and not like this world. You are called to reflect the character and life of Christ in all things. You spend some time thinking about that, about those things. Where do your thoughts, your words, your actions conflict with these things? What causes you to resist obedience to God? When God calls you to give to Him, and you start to squirm, well, there's something there. There's an idol there. There's a failure to love. Where do you resist loving God? What thoughts, words, actions of yours would, would you never want to be known publicly? Sometimes in those particular thoughts, words, and actions, you can find patterns of idolatry in your life because they're demoralizing, they're embarrassing, they're, they're shameful, and you know it. They're demonstrations of hatred for God when you have been created and called, designed, and delivered to love God. It was Martin Luther who said of God one time that, love God, sometimes I hate him. And he wasn't trying to be crass or ignorant. He was speaking honestly that sometimes in his heart and sometimes in your heart, if you're honest, you have a hatred for God. Because you don't want his authority, his reign over your life. Jesus said, no one can serve two masters, for either he will hate the one and love the other, or he will be devoted to the one and despise the other. You cannot serve God and money. It is fundamentally impossible to serve two masters according to Jesus. He's a reliable source. However, do you still try to serve too when God says you can't? In the context of these verses, Jesus concludes by saying, Seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness. He says this in a cultural context where people then and you today are so prone to run after money. And doing so would also include the education necessary for the job needed to secure that money in order to have your daily needs to survive met. Jesus is commanding you to make your basic necessities secondary to God's kingdom and call for righteous living and the pursuit of righteousness in this world. 
And Jesus promises to all of you who do this, every need you have will be provided for. It's guaranteed. It's a promise he made. He cannot lie. Are you over-anxious and worried about your future? That's common, isn't it? In this world, in this culture, in this climate, all that's going on in this world, it's bound to bring some anxiety and some worry. But are you fixated on anxiety? Are you fixated on worry? Does it keep you up at night? It may be because your idol, your false god, is self-reliance or the hope of having certain material possessions that seem now jeopardized or just a desire to have comfort. John Rockefeller, when asked how much money is enough, said just a little bit more. By the way, John Rockefeller would make Jeff Bezos look like he was playing with Monopoly money. What do you want more than God? Paul says in many places that coveting is idolatry. To want something God does not want to give you is idolatry. It's another God. You could want someone else's car, someone else's house, someone else's wife, someone else's circumstances in life, someone else's standing. You could covet the upbringing that someone had and you didn't have. It could be anything. But it is for sure an idol, a false god, a dance with the devil, a demon is behind it, and it will destroy you if you don't turn to the true God away from that idol to serve the living God exclusively and trust in his love and care over you. And that your experience is unique in many ways, that God is shaping your life in such a way to show that his salvation, his rescue, his reign reaches to you in your particular situation. That God has determined where you would live and when you would live for his specific purpose of you seeking him and experiencing his mercy, his love, his reign in your life and his kingdom flowing through your life so that your testimony would in fact be yours. Israel thought that they could multi-worship like people multitask. When they asked Aaron to build the golden calf, Aaron did. The next day he offered burnt offerings and peace offerings to the Lord. After which it says of the people, they rose up to play. But the Lord said they corrupted themselves. And he was ready to destroy them. You and I cannot multi-worship. Jesus says we can only serve one master. We can only be devoted to one master. It's like a marriage. By definition, marriage is both a proclamation of exclusive affection and abandonment. Your vows declare that your affection is kept exclusive for your spouse alone. 
and that vow excludes and abandons all other women if you're a man, or all other men if you're a woman. Jesus is your bridegroom, and he says to you, if anyone comes to me and does not hate his own father and mother and wife and children and brother and sisters, yes, and even his own life, he cannot be my disciple. If anyone would come after me, let him deny himself and take up his cross and follow me. For whoever would save his life will lose it, but whoever loses his life for my sake will find it. Many have pointed out that by saying these things, Jesus is claiming not only to be God, but doing these things is synonymous with obeying the first commandment because these commands of Jesus to deny oneself and to love Jesus above all others is the same. It's tantamount with having no other people or things, not even yourself, before or besides him. He's claiming the place of God, and rightly so, because he is God in the flesh. Passages that declare Jesus as the only way to the Father, the only name given to us for salvation, the only mediator between God and mankind, all call us to claim his exclusive right to be worshipped, to be served, believed in, and obeyed. One theologian connected these passages with Jesus' declaration, For the Father judges no one, but has given all judgment to the Son, that all may honor the Son, just as they honor the Father. Whoever does not honor the Son does not honor the Father who sent him. When you pursue personal pleasure and comfort at the expense of loving God, it has become an idol. Wayne Grudem points out, and I quote, It is a common temptation for Christians to seek the approval of other people, popularity and even fame, and then to start treating those things as more important than serving God or Christ. Paul protests that if he did this, he would not be truly serving Christ. For am I now seeking the approval of man or of God, or am I trying to please man? If I were still trying to please man, I would not be a servant of Christ. End quote. Sometimes our own unwillingness to correct someone because we want their approval and fear their rejection has become a false god of comfort. So we allow people to go on in their sin for our own comfort. It's a twisted form of self-love. Sexual sin, another idol, is such a pervasive idol. Paul said, all things are lawful for me, but not all things are helpful or beneficial. All things are lawful for me, but I will not be dominated by anything. Sexual sin keeps you from being helpful. It keeps you from being a blessing. It keeps you from being edifying and a benefit to others, which is a primary calling from God in your life. Sexual sin also keeps you from being ruled and dominated by Christ Jesus, because the sexual sin has dominated your life.
Calvin said it, seeks to rip Jesus, that is sexual immorality, seeks to rip Jesus limb from limb. Sexual immorality, by, by its very nature, says to Jesus, bow down and worship Satan. Because you're a member of Jesus' body. And by ripping that member apart from him and forcing it into sexual sin is a way of taking what belongs to Christ and wanting to give it back to Satan to rule over once again. Another example Grudem says of the atheist, and I quote, Although atheism claims to believe in no deity at all, it actually, in actuality, those who profess atheism are also violating the first commandment because they have put their own ideas about religion in a place of higher priority than worship and obedience to the one true God who created both them and the entire universe. In this way, atheists have other gods, their own false ideas, in the presence of God who sees all things. End of quote. When Adam and Eve ate the forbidden fruit from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, the Lord God said of them, and by extension to all of us, to me, to all of you, Behold, the man has become like one of us in knowing good and evil. God knows good and evil not because he hears or appeals to a higher authority than himself. It's not like he has a dictionary that explains to him what's good and what's evil. No, but by being God, he decides based on his own being and desire what is good and what is evil. When we were led astray into sin, we became our very own false god. We desire to create our own truth, our own morality. We decide without studying the Bible, without thinking about God, without listening to God. We decide for ourselves what our truth will be how we will define good and evil. We try to do it just the way God did it, just the way God does it. We decide for ourselves based on ourselves what's going to be good in my definition and what's going to be evil in my definition. The end of this is self-destruction, however, and immoral anarchy. We need a savior. We need the only Savior there is. We need Jesus Christ to deliver us from this kind of death of governing ourselves, trying to rule ourselves, trying to decide for ourselves what's good and what's evil. We need Jesus. Jesus did not create us to live as we choose. Life has never been and it never will be about what you want. Life has always been and forevermore will be about what God wants. Jesus did not die and rise again to liberate us, to do what we want to do, 
Jesus died to liberate us so that he might rescue us from our sins, his wrath, death, condemnation, Satan's rule, to restore us under his own blessed reign. The way we were created to live. Ruled by love. Ruled by God. The one and only God. The Father, the Son, the Holy Spirit. Ask the Lord today, right now, to expose the idols of your heart, the idols in his church, to cast them away, and in humble repentance and submission to worship, serve, and obey the one and only true God. Through Jesus Christ his Son, by the power of his Holy Spirit working in your heart. We need Jesus to do that. We need God's revelation. And praise God that we have his word. Not only inscripturated, but we have Jesus himself. We have a living God, a living example, who came to earth, who lived the life that we all should have lived as so many have said before, so much more eloquently, and to die the death that we should have died, bearing the wrath of God. And he did it so that we could live a brand new life, so that we could be a brand new creation, that we could have a brand new genesis, a brand new beginning, that we might start anew with the one and only true God. And we might bow like Moses did when he heard God proclaim the gospel that we might bow in worship of the only true God and realize that by his judgment on every other God and his calling us under his reign, he is declaring that he alone is God and there is no other God. That he's the creator and the sustainer and the savior of this universe. And it behooves us, in view of his mercies, and his greatness, and his grandeur, and his splendor, and his majesty, to bow down and worship him exclusively, and to seek in all things to live a life that glorifies him, that reflects his beauty, and yields to his reign, and allows his kingdom to be extended, his reign to be extended through our lives to the end that he might receive the glory and the praise. You're blessed today because of Jesus. It's not about luck. There's no such thing as luck unless it's an acronym for living under Christ's kingdom, as I heard someone say. But it's not that you're fortunate. It's not that you're lucky. It's the providence of God. It's the blessing of God upon you. Every good thing and every perfect gift comes down from the Father of lights with whom there is no variableness nor shadow of turning. Everything good you have, you got from God's hand. It wasn't a coincidence. It wasn't luck. It was God. 
the goodness of God upon you, the blessing of God in Jesus Christ given to you by grace. Worship him today. God bless you and keep you.